Thank you. Good morning to all of you. Good morning. Good morning. It is really good to be here with you guys this morning. I, uh, I am, as Josiah said, the associate pastor at uh, a church uh, just in the Byron Center area called In Spirit Church. Uh, I'm the associate pastor, which means I have more opportunities to do stuff like this and visit uh, new churches and, and fill in when uh, churches are without a pastor for a week. So I'm grateful. I know my wife is grateful to be here. This is a beautiful church. I love it. Um, so thank you for having us. Um, the question that was posed to me when Wayne went on his sabbatical, Pastor Wayne went on his sabbatical, was what is our role? What is our personal role in the advancement of the kingdom here on earth? So we're going to be looking at Acts chapter 1 today, and I have three takeaways, but if it's okay with you, I'd like to just pray before we dive into God's word. So if you, will you pray with me? Father God, I just thank you for this beautiful church and the people that fill the, these seats. I thank you for how they are using their gifts. I thank you for the praise team. I thank you for those who are working the sound, Lord. I thank you for all the service you have done and how you, again, are at work in these people's lives. Grateful for the opportunity to be here worshiping with them, Lord. We pray for Pastor Wayne, who is away on his sabbatical. Lord, he, they anticipate his return um, next week. I pray this time away has been restful and that he comes back energized and ready to do the work that you have called him to do already. I pray for all of those here in the, the church family of the peer who need you. Lord, you know what those needs are. Lord, I pray that you would meet those needs according to your will. Those who are uh, on top of the, the, the mountain coming in filled with joy, those who are maybe lamenting, those who are hurting, Lord, I pray that you would draw near to each one of them. Comfort them, bring healing where there needs to be healing, bring hope to where there needs to be hope. Lord, you know what we need more than we do. Lord, I pray that in all of these things we would trust you. And I pray now, Lord, as we prepare to hear your word, the question, what is uh, our role in the advancement of the kingdom here on earth? I pray that you would speak through me, Lord, would it be your word that is heard, not mine? And that you would give us the ears to hear, that we would receive your word. Give us the eyes to see you, and give us the hearts to live it out beyond just today. So Lord, illuminate your word. Prepare us as we hear it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 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 One of the things Josiah did not share with you about myself, and he would not know this because I never shared this with him, is I'm not a Starbucks guy. I don't like Starbucks. I'm from Canada. I much prefer Tim Hortons. If you guys have never been to Tim Hortons, go to Tim Hortons. It's the best. That's right. It's much cheaper, too. But my wife, what was that, sorry? Big B is, you know, I won't get, I won't go there. It's below Starbucks. <laughs> I'm playing. But my wife, who is also from Canada, uh, for whatever reason, loves Starbucks. Uh, I don't understand it to save my life, but she loves it. And one of the days I was dropping, it was a while ago, I was dropping her off at the place where she volunteers. Uh, but she asked, Ryan, can we stop at Starbucks? I'd like to get something to drink, something to eat. I, me trying to be a good husband said, sure. Sure, darling. So we hop in the, the Starbucks line. And one of the things about Kaziah's order at Starbucks is it's very complicated. It's like you're building a computer. There's like five or six steps to building this drink. So I get nervous every time I go through the drive-thru because I, I got, I, 
like, Keziah, what do you want? And she recites her order. And then I got to memorize this sucker because when it comes time for me to <laughs> recite the order, I need to get it perfectly. I need, to, I need to make sure there's nothing wrong with the drink, especially if you're paying six, seven dollars for it. I need it perfect. So I'm reciting it over and over and over in my mind. So I got it perfectly. But then the thought occurs to me, after I drop Keziah off, I'm going to be going back to In Spirit Church for my offices. And Jessica, who's also on staff at In Spirit, is going to be there. So you know what? I'm going to text her and see if she wants anything from Starbucks. So I do. Jess, do you want anything from Starbucks? And I hear nothing until I get to the speaker. And I get to the speaker and I hear, hey, what can I, what can I get started for you? I open up the text message from Jessica and it simply says, yup. Oh. <laughs> I'm like, you've got to be kidding me, Jess. I'm at the speaker. You know, you're going to let me know what you want. You know, I'm here. And now I got to stall. I got to stall. What can I get for you? I rattle off Keziah's order perfectly. What else can I, or can I get you anything else? Yup. <laughs> what else can I get for you? It's like, well, shoot, now i got to order something because I'm stalling, so I order my drink. Is that everything? Nope. <laughs> what else can I get for you? Text comes in. White hot chocolate. Perfect. Can I also get a white hot chocolate? Weight of the world off my shoulders. I just nailed it. I'm good. Except for at Starbucks, they ask you the life or death, do or die question. Do you want that hot or do you want it cold? And I'm like, she didn't say anything about hot or cold. There's a line now that's wrapped around Starbucks. The person is getting pretty upset with me. I can tell by the tone of her voice. Just give me both. <laughs> give me a hot and a cold. I don't know. So we do. We get the, we get the Starbucks. I drop Kazaya off at the place where she volunteers. I go back to In Spirit. I give Jess her drinks. And, I, and Jess is like, Ryan, it's always hot. Why would I ever order that cold? And I'm like, Jess, who orders a Starbucks order in 45-second text message intervals? No one does that. And we go back and forth, and we can laugh at it now, but it was pretty frustrating at the time. But the reason I shared that with you, the reason I shared this story with you, is when something that is meant to be together, like a Starbucks order, gets separated, things get confusing. Things get lost. And the book, the same is true about the book of Acts, the, the, the book in which we find ourselves in this morning. The book of Acts is very much a sequel. It is meant to be read alongside the book of Luke. The author is the same, right? Dr. Luke. And he writes the book of Luke, and then he follows it up with the book of Acts, but he assumes that you've been reading it straight through the whole time. And he gives you this uh, previously in the book of Luke introduction at the very beginning of Acts chapter 1 verse 1 when he says in my former book Theophilus I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and to teach the key word right there in verse 1 is the word began all that Jesus began to do and to teach the way Luke describes his first book the book of Luke, the gospel of Luke, is that's just the beginning. The book of Acts is what God is going to continue to do. And we're going to... So, the way the Bible is constructed is 
is not necessarily the order in which the books were written. It's just how they kind of compiled the books together to, to maybe make it make sense. You have the Gospels, uh, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, but then Luke, Luke also wrote the book of Acts, and it was kind of like this two-parter. Um, I can get into it, but the, the, it's, it, the author is the same. Um, so we're in the book of Acts, chapter 1 this morning. Um, is a story, stories compiled together that show how a ragtag group of people by the power of the Holy Spirit changed everything. So Acts chapter 1, the first takeaway if you're taking notes this morning that I have for you is we are here for the mission. We are here for the mission. Acts chapter 1, starting in verse 1, says this. In my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and to teach until the day he was taken up to heaven after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. After his suffering, he presented himself to them and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. I want to stop right there for a minute. The little phrase, by many proofs, by many convincing proofs, he proved that he was alive is interesting because Luke is saying that the end of my last book, right, the, the book of Luke, there was a series of stories that I included that described how Jesus proved that he was actually resurrected from the dead. And not just spiritually resurrected, but actually physically resurrected from the dead. So at the end of the book of Luke, you get a story where there's two guys and they're walking and they're on their way to Emmaus. And it tells us this conversation that they're having. Did, did you hear what happened in Jerusalem? Did you hear what happened? There was this guy, he died, and, and now he, he rose from the dead. Did you, did you hear it? And then it tells us Jesus comes alongside of them, and he begins walking alongside of these men, but they had no idea that it was actually Jesus. So they ask, they ask Jesus, did, did you hear what happened in Jerusalem? And Jesus goes, tell me, what happened? And they start sharing all of these stories about Jesus and how there was this guy named Jesus who died and now he's, he's risen from the dead. And, and then the story continues and it tells us they're, they're sharing a meal together. And while they're sharing this meal together, they finally understand who it is that is sitting with them, who has been with them on this journey. It's Jesus. But then Jesus disappears from them. So these, these guys, they go and they, they go and tell the 11 disciples and news begins to spread. But now the 11 disciples, they're in a little bit of a pickle. Because what do we do with this? What do we do with this information? Is this true? Did this really happen? Or are people hallucinating? So at the end of the book of Luke, the disciples, they're gathered together. And they're sharing a meal. And it says Jesus appears before them. And their first, their first reaction is to say, it's a ghost. Because of course you would. Human beings don't rise from the dead. Maybe their spirits do, but, but not the actual body. It's a ghost. It must be a ghost. But Jesus says, hold on, guys. No, no, no. It's me. And let me set one thing clear for you guys. This is real. I'm not a ghost. Flesh and bones. Come, touch my hands. Come, touch my sides. And do you guys have anything to eat? I'm kind of hungry. Jesus is, is showing that a resurrected body is much like a regular body, but it's better. 
and they eat together, and they rejoice, and they're thrilled. These are the many proofs that Dr. Luke is referencing here in Acts chapter 1. Jesus proved it to them that he was resurrected from the dead, and then it goes on to say that he spoke about the kingdom of God for for 40 days in Acts chapter 1. So it's this intense Bible camp, right, that was led by Jesus himself. And then carrying on in Acts chapter 1, verses 4 to 5, it says, On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard about me speak. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So Jesus says to them, guys, hey, I want you to stick here in Jerusalem. I have a gift for you. Remember, I promised it to you. It's the Holy Spirit. Stay here in Jerusalem. But then the disciples, they ask, Lord, at this time, are you going to restore the kingdom to Israel? Which is a completely natural question for them to ask. What they're asking here is remember all the promises that we heard about, that we learned about in the Old Testament, how how God was going to bring about heaven uh, on earth as soon as the Messiah comes and and there was going to be this great victory and, and the kingdom would be restored to Israel. That was what was promised to them and they knew it. And we have passages like Micah 4 in the Old Testament. Micah 4 says, In the last days the mountain of the Lord's temple will be established. As the highest of the mountains, it will be exalted above the hills, and the peoples will stream to it. The peoples outside of the the, the kingdom of Israel will stream to Israel. And it says, many nations will come and say, come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the temple of the God of Jacob. He will teach us his ways so that we may walk in his paths. Again, these are the nations outside of Israel who are saying it. The people who have been at war, the people who have been fighting with the kingdom of Israel, they are going to go to Israel and say the one true God is here. Carrying on, it says, The law will go out from Zion, the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. He will judge between many peoples and will settle disputes for strong nations far and wide. They will beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nation will not take up sword against nation, nor will they train for war anymore. Everyone will sit under their own vine and under their own fig tree, and no one will make them afraid, for the Lord Almighty has spoken. And then jumping ahead to Micah 4, verse 8, it says, As for you, watchtower of the flock, stronghold of daughter Zion, and here it is, the former dominion, will be restored to you. Kingship will come to daughter Jerusalem. There will be no more pain. Hallelujah Hallelujah indeed. There will be no more arguing. There will be no more suffering. There will be no more wars. There will be, allow me, there will be no more Democrat. There will be no more Republican. There's going to be no more mask, no more no mask. There will be no more vaccine or no vaccine. There's none of it. And whoever you think your enemy is right now, I tell you, no more. No more. That is the kingdom that is coming. And the Jews, the disciples, they knew it. That is what was promised to them. This is what is supposed to happen when the Messiah comes. So you understand in Acts chapter 1, the disciples, that when they ask, Lord, at this promise, heaven on earth, bring it on down. But Jesus says, well, back in Acts chapter 1, it's not for you to know the times or dates 
the Father has set by his own authority. So many people have tried to predict when Jesus is going to return. And time after time after time after time again, they have been proven to be wrong. Because quite clearly, it is not for you or I to know. So that begs the question, what are we supposed to do now? In this time of waiting, this time of now and the time where Jesus returns, what are we supposed to do with this gap of time? Carrying on in Acts chapter 1, it says, But you will receive the power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all of Judea, and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. So Jesus is saying, here's the plan, guys. You guys are gathered, and you're here in Jerusalem right now, but soon you're going to receive the power of the Holy Spirit, and you're going to go out. And you're going to go out first to the people in Jerusalem, but then you're going to go to all of Judea, which is like the state of Michigan. And then you're going to go to those half-breeds, the people that you can't stand. You're going to go to Samaria, and you're going to go to the ends of the earth. So God is saying, guys, we're here in Grand Rapids. And you're going to go out, and you're going to go out to the people in Grand Rapids. But then the message is going to spread, and it's going to go to all of Michigan. And then it's going to go to Ohio. And then it's going to go to the rest of the, the states. And then it's going to go to the entire world. That's the plan. Between now and my return, you are going to be my witnesses. You're going to teach and testify about all you have heard and all you have seen. And you're going to share it. Because witnesses share news. The gospel is news to be shared. The gospel is not just good news, it is the best news. It is this royal proclamation that Jesus is on the throne and he lives and he is in control. He is king. That is news to be shared. But many people come up to me, Pastor Ryan, you know what? I don't know if I want to do that. You know what I'm going to do? Instead, I'm going to just live it out with my actions. And to that I say, good start. Good. Live it out with your actions. However, at some point, you're going to actually have to share it. Otherwise, how are people going to come to know who Jesus is and why you are living the way you are living? But, oh, Pastor Ryan, no, you know, how, I, I can't do that. You know, that, how am I supposed to share that news with everyone? Well, it says you're going to receive the power of the living God. It's going to come upon you. So my point here is the reason God didn't immediately usher in the physical reign of Jesus, restore the kingdom in its full, was so that the disciples would go out and they would share the news with all nations. The mission of God is the reason we are here. It is the purpose for you, for me, and we do it together as a church. When I think of Costco... Are you guys familiar with Costco? Yeah, some people are familiar with Costco. If you, if you haven't been to Costco, let me know. I'll take you. It's a, it's a wonderful place. But me and my wife, we love Costco. And we go to Costco usually needing something like milk. We go to Costco needing the milk. But Costco is sneaky. They put the milk all the way at the back. So you kind of have to go through all the different aisles to get to what you actually need. And you really don't want to carry the milk through the whole warehouse. So you get one of their mega-sized carts the biggest carts known uh, to, to humans, and you get the cart and you walk in. It's not three feet until you, you get to their entertainment section, and you see the 75-inch flat-screen TVs. You're thinking, it's football season. 
I should probably get one of these. It's a good deal. So you know what? You treat yourself. You put it in the cart. And you keep on walking, and it's like, oh, there's a mega pack of batteries. I don't need that many batteries now, but it's a good deal. Uh, I'll use them eventually. So you put those in the cart. And then you keep walking, and you see the clothes, and it's like, Puma has new pants for $3? I'm going to put those in the cart. And you go, and you go past the meat section. It's meat you've never even heard of, but it's like $3. So you put that in the cart, and you get the toilet paper and the pop and all of that good stuff. And you go to the cash register, and the cashier has the nerve to ask you, did you find everything OK? And it's like, I think so. And you cash out, and you go, and you're walking. You see the $1.50 hot dog and pop. And it's like, that's a good deal. Better get that, too. And it's Michigan. Winter's coming, right? So maybe need some new winter tires. So you buy maybe some new tires, and you put those in the cart or whatever you do. And you go, and you put them in the car. You drive home, and your spouse tells you, did you get the milk? And you're like, ah. <laughs> I've been Costco'd. <laughs> yes. You have been Costco'd. You go in with a mission, but you get distracted by all of these other things. And they can be good things, but it is not the reason you went. The reason you went to Costco was for the milk. And I fear the church in North America and really the Western world is being perpetually Costco'd. We are here for a purpose, to be his witness to the entire world. But we get distracted by so many other things, and we forget the milk. We're here for the mission, and we have to ask ourselves, is that is something that we're committed to? Are we so aggressively committed to the mission that God has called us to? Does it take priority in your prayers? Does it take priority in your giving? Does it take priority in your service? Does it take priority over all of your other priorities? Is it number one priority in your life? We are here for the mission. And my second takeaway, if again, if you're taking notes, is God himself is going to empower us to fulfill it. Verse 8 again says, But you will receive the power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And that's really the big point. You are going to receive the power when the Holy Spirit, the power of the living God comes upon you and the result will be you will be my witness. The witnessing is drawn from the power of the Holy Spirit. The giving of the Holy Spirit is directly tied to the mission that God has called us to. In other words, God empowers what he commands. So what stops us? What stops us? If I can be vulnerable with you, what stops me is I'm a pastor, and I'm afraid that I'm not going to have all the right answers. People are going to come up to me and say, they're asking me a question I don't necessarily know the answer to, and they're going, you're a pastor. You're supposed to know all the right answers. How, if, if you don't know the answers, I'm not going to believe in it. And since you're a pastor and you don't know the answer, no one's going to know the answer. That's my fear. What's your fear? You have, you have the same fear of me? rejection. Maybe you're afraid of what people might think of you. But we're so afraid. We're so afraid that if we aren't perfect, we are incapable of engaging in the mission. But if I can jump ahead to Acts chapter 2, Acts chapter 2 verse 47, it says, and the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. 
what was happening. The people were being saved. By who? The Lord. The Lord added to their number daily. Acts chapter 16, verse 14. One of those listening was a woman uh, was a woman from the city of Thyatira named Lydia, a dealer in purple cloth. She was a worshiper of God. The Lord opened her heart to respond to Paul's message. Lydia, a dealer in purple cloth. Purple cloth is, is kingly garments. So she's on, the, she's on the edge of the community, and it says the Lord opened her heart to respond to Paul's message. Who did that? The Lord did. Paul spoke. But who did the work? The Lord did. Exodus chapter 4, verses 11 to 12. God says to Moses, hey Moses, I want you to go into Egypt. I want you to proclaim this message to Pharaoh. I know Pharaoh is the most powerful human being on earth right now, but don't worry, I'm with you. Moses' response is, can't you find someone else? You know, I, I can't even really speak very clearly. Maybe, there's got to be someone else better for the job. But God's response to Moses is, who gave human beings their mouths? Who makes them deaf or mute? Who gives them sight or makes them blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Now go, and I will help you speak and will teach you what to say. Who gave human beings their mouths? Who gives them sight? The Lord does. So go. Go, and I will be with you. I will help you to speak. I will teach you what to say. It's all over the Bible that you and I are not the ones who are in charge of convincing people to follow Jesus. The Lord does. Success in the mission for us is not necessarily the conversion of people, but it's the doing of the sharing. We are seed planters. You did not fail if you opened your mouth, said Jesus to someone, that is a success. You leave it up to Jesus. You leave it up to the Holy Spirit. You leave it up to God. So no, you don't need to have all the answers. You don't need to be afraid of what other people might think of you. You don't have to be afraid of having all the right answers or not, but know that God is with you. And he guides you. And he leads you. And he gives you wisdom. And he helps you to speak. We are here for the mission, God himself empowers us to fulfill it. And my last takeaway, again, if you're taking notes this morning, is standing and staring is not going to help. Standing and staring won't help. Acts chapter 1, verses, uh, starting in verse 9 here, it says, After he said this, he was taken up before their very eyes, and a cloud hid him from their sight. They were looking intently up into the sky as he was going when suddenly two men dressed in white stood beside them. Men of Galilee, they said, why do you stand here looking into the sky? That question, why do you stand here looking into the sky, is not a question looking for an answer. It is a rebuke. Like when my dear wife tells me, Ryan, take out the trash. And I decide, I'm going to not do that. I'm going to sit here and I'm going to watch football. And she comes back into the room and says, Ryan, why are you still sitting here? I tell you right now, that is not a question looking for an answer. She is telling me to get up off my butt and take that garbage out before she gets back into the room. <laughs> why are you standing here looking into the sky? 
Jesus just gave you the mission. What was the mission? To go. What are you doing? You are standing and you are staring. But, but you don't understand. It's so beautiful. Yes, true. But if we finish Acts chapter 1, verse 11, this same Jesus who has been taken from you into heaven will come back in the same way you have seen him go into heaven. Amen. So there is going to be a time when he is going to return and the kingdom will be restored in its full. But that's not right now. There's a gap of time that exists between now and then. And right now you're standing and staring when you should be going. Standing and staring is not going to help. And, I, and I'll be honest, I think we can get so focused on things. And they can be good Christian things. But the problem is the mission is standing before us in our faces, right in front of our faces. We get so caught up on things like, like worship and, and, and how we gather on Sunday and how many times do we do communion uh, a year. And these are good things. These are good conversations. They need to be a part of the conversation. But do you have the milk? We're here for the mission. Are you engaged in the mission? Because there's a job to do. Where? Look around you. Small, small towns, big cities, everything in between. Wherever there are people, there is the mission. That is what we are here for. And again, there, we get so caught up in things. Uh, career success, um, money, comfort, uh, material things, family, friends, th good things. These are, these are all things that are fine. But do you have the milk? I want to close with this quote from Charles Spurgeon, and I don't know if the praise team wants to, to come back up. And, but this is a quote from a, a man named Charles Spurgeon. It says, If sinners be damned, at least let them leap to hell over our dead bodies. And if they perish, let them perish with our arms wrapped about their knees, imploring them to stay. If hell must be filled, let it be filled in the teeth of our exertions and let no one go unwarned and unprayed for. We are here for the mission, my brothers and sisters at the pier, to share the news of Jesus Christ to all of those he puts before us. You do not go alone. Not only do we have each other, but we have the power of the living God within us. So go because standing and staring is not going to help. Amen.